John chapter 3. We took a break last week from our John 3 series to preach the second half of the message in Malachi. Uh, chapter 2 and 3, 217 to 36. We're jumping back into John 3 this week. Over these past many weeks in John 3, we've learned much about our own salvation as Jesus Christ has been speaking to Nicodemus. We learned about the Holy Spirit's role in salvation. That is quite literally affecting that salvation, uh, sealing us, that new birth, the mystery, as we could call it, of the new birth. Then we learned of the role of God the Son as Jesus Christ presented the necessity that he would be the one, the one who had ascended, the one who had descended, who had been in heaven, who descended to minister, to die, as he would say in the next two verses, that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and in verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That was the purpose, that was the role of the Son in salvation, which is securing it. The Holy Spirit affects it as he enters in at the new birth, seals us. The Son secures it through his blood. Then we looked last time at those very familiar verses, John 3, 16 and 17, at God the Father's role. Certainly, those verses teach us of God the Son as well, but God the Father's role specifically as God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Recognizing that the, the transaction that is salvation was compelled by God's love. Not because of anything that you have done. Not because you have earned salvation. Not because you have bought salvation. Not because you have been baptized. Not because of anything you have done, but because... God loved you, and you responded to that love and belief. And we finished that sermon recognizing, as verse 17 states, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That God's purpose in sending his Son was not condemnation, not judgment, yet, but was Salvation. We will pick up there this week, John 3, beginning verse 18. We'll look through verse 21 as Jesus Christ finishes his discourse with Nicodemus. Look at me, look with me. You don't have to look at me, but look with me, beginning in verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Salvation is a spiritual transaction between God and man. Salvation is a free gift secured for man by a loving God, specifically the second person of the Godhead. 
The results of salvation in our lives are manifold. Justification being one of them, that free gift whereby God hardens the sinner and accepts him as righteous based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. At salvation you were changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Salvation you are cleansed. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, And such were some of you, speaking of those who were, were in the, the grasp of sin. Paul says, But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. At salvation, certainly you were saved from the wrath to come. That is, the wrath of the lake of fire. Romans 5, 8, 9. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Certainly as well, we remember from our Ephesians series that at salvation you were sealed. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For here is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Yet for all the manifold results of salvation and all the ways that salvation impacts a man, there is, for all of these results, only one way that salvation is realized in any man's life. There's only one path to salvation, though salvation affects so many areas of our life. Though salvation affects us in so many different ways, there's only one way to receive it, through belief on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Literally, by accepting the gift, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. By accepting that gift, the gift that has already been bought, the gift that is offered to you, accepting it is the only means of having that salvation realized, the sealing, the salvation from hell, the cleansing, the justification, the change. It's the only way. From these verses, verses 18 through 21, we're going to look at our part in the salvation process. It's not a very large part, in a manner of speaking. It's not something necessarily that we're doing in the way that Paul would describe works. The title of the message is this, The Believer. We've looked at God, the Holy Spirit, God the Son, then God the Father. Now we look at the believer. Accepting from God that which he has already given. And as we do so, we're going to look at this from two perspectives. First, the nature of man's condemnation. Second, the nature of man's salvation. Look with me first at the nature of man's condemnation, and that is unbelief. The nature of his condemnation is unbelief. Now, as we consider this, we recognize that this condemnation is a self-condemnation. Notice verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why is he condemned? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Sin is a great enemy. 
Sin can be defined as anything that you say, anything that you do, anything that you think that is contrary to the person, to the work, or to the word of God. I like that definition of sin. Sin is not necessarily a list of things, and these things are all sins. The scriptures tell us, if any man knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Scriptures tell us, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It is quite real, it is quite true, that I could do something and not sin, that you could do in sin. And so sin is not always something that we can put down on paper as yes or no. Sin is something that we say, do, or think that is contrary to the character, the nature, or the word of God. Sin is, however, many sins are, however, clearly defined in Scripture. If you've ever told a lie, it's always a sin. It's always opposed to the Word of God. If you've ever disobeyed your parents, that's always a sin. That is always opposed to the Word of God. If you've ever wanted something that didn't belong to you, lusting, coveting, that is always a sin. That is always contrary to God's character. If you've ever taken something that didn't belong to you, that's always sin. That's always contrary to God's character. And so if you have ever done any of these things, which we all have, by the way, then you are guilty of sin. And you are thus, by definition, a sinner. Say, but pastor, I've only told a lie. You're a sinner. You're as much a sinner as the person who kills another man. You are as much a sinner as a person who robs someone at gunpoint. The person that has told one lie, the person that has disobeyed their parents once. James tells us that if we are righteous in all things, but are, if we offend in one point, we are guilty of all. So sin is a great enemy of mankind because we have all fallen into it. We're all sinners. Sin is a great enemy because there's not one person on the entire earth who has not sinned. Your pastor has sinned. Every missionary that will ever come through these doors will have sinned. The Pope has sinned. Every man has sinned. This sin, according to God's word, has cut man off from God. Because you are a sinner, God is holy. You cannot have fellowship with the holy God in your sin. Here's the situation. God is set apart, holy. God is above all. He is righteous. He is perfect. He is sinless. By his very nature, he cannot and will not have a personal relationship with one who is sinful, with one whose life is full of sin, with one whose heart is sinful. If he did, he would no longer be holy. He'd no longer be set apart. He would have to very uh, distinctly deny his own character, deny who he is in order to have fellowship, personal relationship with a sinner. He cannot do that. He cannot deny himself. And so our sin has separated us from God. There is a chasm between us and God that is sin. And it's in the heart of every man. Our sin has separated us from God. And notice how I say that. Our sin has separated us from God. It's commonly said that God has condemned men to hell because of their sin. I would like us to be a little more particular than that when we consider the dynamics of sin and hell. As we look at our text, Jesus Christ tells Nicodemus 
something a little bit different. He doesn't state that man's condemnation is imposed from an angry God upon men who simply can't match up to his standard. He tells us, he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, many in this world will ask you throughout your life, how could a loving God condemn a man to hell? Now, most who would ask that are unbelievers, and so as it is, they're not going to understand the spiritual dynamics, nor can they, according to 2 Corinthians. But the Bible doesn't necessarily say that God condemned men to hell. God created hell for Satan and his angels. God created the lake of fire. Hell will be cast into the lake of fire. God created the lake of fire for Satan and his angels. But when man fell to sin, there needed to be an eternal place for that eternal soul separated from God. And the lake of fire is the place. It is not that God has condemned you as much as we see from Scripture here in verses 18 through 21. You have condemned yourself. Your sin has put you on the path to hell, but your unbelief is what condemns you to hell. Verse 18 states it this way, as we saw. He that, hath, uh, he that believeth not is condemned because he hath not believed. We are condemned already. As I was studying this passage, the Greek word there already, condemned already, struck me. It is a word that we discovered in our word study condemn, krino, but it's one that is used here in the Greek perfect tense. Now, this doesn't mean much to an English speaker because our perfect tense is, is fairly muddled, is fairly watered down, but to make a long story short, what it means in the Greek is Jesus Christ is indicating that condemnation is already a reality in the lives of unbelievers. When I was preaching through Ephesians, we talked about salvation. As we talked about salvation, remember how we talked about how our salvation is Positional, how God sees us as saved already, though our salvation is actually a future event. Well, as this passage relays the condemnation of man, it's positional as well. Every person who is an unbeliever, who through their unbelief has thus been condemned to hell, has condemned themselves to hell through their unbelief, a path that was put on by their sin, but a condemnation that is realized through their unbelief on Jesus Christ. Those who are resting in unbelief are condemned already. They are as good as condemned. They are as good as burning in the final judgment already for their sin. That's the force of this passage as we read it. Yet there is a way to avert such judgment. To step out of that path that we were put on by our sin, that path that we are continuing on as we will one day, if we continue on that path, be condemned for our unbelief. To step out of such a path through belief on Jesus Christ. And notice as well what this condemnation is, as I've mentioned. Our sin is not what condemns us to hell. Our sin puts us on the path to hell. The condemnation comes from our unbelief. 
if I might say it this way. There is no man at the end of his life who will burn in hell condemned there for his sin. He will burn in hell condemned there because he did not believe on Jesus Christ unto salvation. That is the flavor of this passage. That is the statement of this passage. That it is unbelief. See, your sin is paid for. Every man's sin is paid for. When the Israelites in Numbers 21 were bit by the fiery serpent, it was not enough for them to know that the brass serpent was going to save them. They had to look. They had to live. The salvation was secured for them already, but they had to believe. In just the same way, the sin is paid for, for every man. The penalty is paid. There's one more thing that every man needs to do, and that's belief. So let me state it again for clarity since I muddled things up here a little bit earlier. Sin separated you from God. That separation from God required you to be on a path toward hell. But the condemnation that we face, that condemnation when we, if we do not believe and we are in hell, the condemnation in hell is not because you stole because you lied, because you disobeyed your parents. The condemnation to every man in hell is because you did not believe. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. So, a man may ask, how is it that I'm supposed to know what to believe? How is it that I'm supposed to know, how is it that any man is supposed to know that he is condemned? Where can a man understand? If, if condemnation is from unbelief, how is it that a man recognizes his own condemnation, recognizes his need for a Savior? Well, that is truly where our sin enters in. We may not be condemned to hell specifically through our sin, but our sins show us that we are condemned because we have rejected the light. Because when we stand against truth, our sin becomes so manifest. And that's what we see in verses 19 and 20. Verse 19 states that the condemnation is manifest in this one thing, that light is entered into the world, but men preferred darkness, the darkness of their own sin to the light of the world. Though God has shown us how we can be free from our sins through Jesus Christ, and though God has made a way for us, that way demands that we reject our sin. And we don't want to do this. So whenever mankind hears the truth of God, they don't want to hear it again. So whenever men recognize places where the truth of God is presented, they avoid those places because they don't want to hear the truth of God because men loved darkness rather than light. So our hearts harden ourselves in the realities of our own sin that we would not be convicted of our sins in our own lives. Thus verse 20 tells us that the evidence of this condemnation is seen in our lives, in our spirits, and in our hearts. 
Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Man doesn't want to know that he's sinful. Man doesn't want to hear that he's condemned before God. That sin is the evidence of our unbelief. That unbelief is the, the reality, the nature of our condemnation before God. That those who have not believed are on a path toward hell for that unbelief. And so there's coming a day when each man will stand before God and will be judged out of the Lamb's book of life. God will open this book and Revelation 20 verse 15 tells us whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This picture is a picture of belief or unbelief. Those who have believed are placed in the Lamb's book of life. Those who have not believed are not found in the Lamb's book of life. The next chapter of Revelation tells us more. As God describes the wonders in heaven, Revelation 21, 27 says, And there shall in no wise enter in anything that defileth, neither whosoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but rather they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you see the dichotomy? God is not going to go down a list of sins and say, okay, lie, we'll put you over here in the not-so-bad area. Murder, oh yeah, you're, 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 gonna, you're, you're in the no-hope area. Stealing, well, it wasn't a very malicious stealing, so we'll put you a little bit farther toward no-hope, but still in the maybe area. Sin is sin. There are no tears. There are no tears of sin. There are no levels of sin. Sin is sin. We're all sinners. But what separates the Lamb's book of life from those that will spend eternity in the lake of fire is belief or unbelief. Accepting the gift of God. Rejecting the gift of God. And that's what we see in our second point as we look at verse 21 as well as uh, we can look back at verse 18a as, as uh, Jesus Christ gave Nicodemus the good news before he talked about the bad. Unbelief is man's great condemnation. Man's great salvation is belief. Verse 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. Then verse 21, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So what is this belief? We recognize that unbelief is the, the condemnation of man. That sin has brought man into this path of hell. Unbelief holds men down in that condemnation. And there will be many men who have sought for righteousness their entire lives who will end up in the lake of fire because they never believed. What is this belief? Well, certainly, first, we must believe that we are condemned. If we don't think we have a problem, then we can never understand that there's a solution to the problem. If we don't see a problem, then we won't see the solution. If we don't fully understand that our sin has put us on the path to hell, that our unbelief has condemned us to this eternal fate, then we will never accept the solution that God offers us of salvation. 
And so all who are under my voice must first understand, and I believe that everyone in this room probably does understand that sin has put us on that path toward hell. That you are condemned if you are living in unbelief. And that that condemnation, the end of that condemnation is an eternity of punishment in a literal place known as the lake of fire. If you are in unbelief and you were to die right now, you would be forever lost. There would be no second chance. There would be no opportunity for redemption in the life to come. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But the good news is once we know that we have a problem, we can seek for a solution. And as John so clearly teaches, a solution has been made. A solution has been secured. Belief on the source of salvation. That source found in Jesus Christ. We talked about this two weeks ago. Jesus' death upon the cross of Calvary paid the debt that you could not pay. You can't pay your own debt. No amount of good works, no amount of church attendance, no amount of money can get you to heaven. You are under a condemnation that has but one solution and that solution has already been purchased. It is a solution that costs you nothing because the price was paid by Jesus Christ's blood on the cross of Calvary. On the day Christ died, He bore your sins. He bore the sins of every single person in the, room, in, in the world. 1 John 2, 2 so aptly tells us He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also the sins of the entire world. And so it is not your responsibility to work for your salvation. It is not your responsibility to earn your salvation. It is your responsibility to accept the salvation that God has already bought for you through Christ's blood. If I wanted to give this Bible to someone in this room, if I wanted to give this Bible to Evan, Evan's got a nice Bible, but if I wanted to give this Bible to Evan, and I say, this is now Evan's Bible, I want him to have it, and I place it in my hand, and I place it out and I say, Evan, I have secured this Bible for you. It is as good as yours if you will just accept it. Now, Evan doesn't have to buy this Bible. It's been purchased already. Evan doesn't have to work for this Bible. This Bible is being offered. I have extended my hand to give this Bible to Evan. But would anybody in the room looking at the situation as it stands right now say that Evan has this Bible? Is this his Bible? He has not accepted this Bible. If he stays in that seat and sits there and never accepts this Bible, then it's not his. Until he accepts it. In the same way, salvation has been secured. God has purchased it through Jesus Christ and He holds His hands out with salvation and says, I want you to have it. I have purchased it. It is here for you. But if you don't take it, if you don't accept it, you can understand that you need salvation. You can even understand that Jesus Christ secured that salvation. But it's not enough for you to look at those hands. It's not enough for Evan to stare at the Bible and say, oh, that Bible was purchased for me. 
it's still not in his possession, even if he knows that it was purchased for him. Even if he knows that it's there for him, he still needs to accept the gift. And salvation is the same way. Going back again to Numbers 21. God had secured the salvation of every Israelite who would be bit by a serpent through Jesus Christ, or excuse me, through the serpent on the pole. When they were bit, it was not enough for them to know that the serpent could save them. When they were bit, it was not enough for them to sit there staring at the serpent hanging off of their leg and say, if I look at that serpent, I will live. And then to die staring at the serpent. They had to exercise the faith to look upon the serpent. To do what was required of them to appropriate for themselves the salvation that God had already secured. So it is with salvation. That you must believe. You must accept the gift for yourself. It's not enough to know that you're a sinner. It's not enough to know that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins. You must accept the gift for yourself. And the scriptures testify again and again and again that the man who believes on Jesus Christ has eternal life. John 3.15 Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. John 6, 29, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. John 6.35 I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 6.40 And this is the will of him that sent me that every one that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. John 6.47 Verily, verily, I say unto you he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Acts 10.43 Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. All of these verses testify to one fact. That those who believe on Jesus Christ are those who have the condemnation lifted off of them. Those who turn to Christ from sin, if we want to specify that way. That definition that I have given for repentance whereby we are turning to Christ and therefore our sins are falling away. We are passing from death unto life. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. In this passage, we talk about those who come to the light because they do the light. All of those concepts in play. That is belief. Belief on Jesus Christ for salvation. It is the simplest of truths. The hurdle in our lives the one that will hold most men back from receiving this truth is not that they don't know that they're a sinner. It's not that they don't recognize that God has sent 
Jesus Christ to pay the penalty. It's that final step of humbling themselves before God and accepting this gift for themselves. A gift secured by Jesus Christ alone that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have eternal life. I know there are many in this room who have made that decision but perhaps there are some in this room who have not. We've spent four weeks now looking very closely at each member of the Godhead and his role in salvation and then looking this evening at our own role in the salvation process that necessity of accepting salvation, of belief. There is no one in this room who does not know how it is that they can be saved. There is no one in this room who is not equipped with the biblical knowledge to take that step. But that step must still be taken. It's not going to be taken for you. It's a step that must be taken by you to believe on the name of Jesus Christ unto salvation. It's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would continue to work in our hearts. And for those of us who are believers, the day that I realized, and it was not until seminary, that the condemnation that rested upon man was not his own personal sins, but the sin of unbelief was a very special day for me. Pieces fell into place as I recognized that Jesus Christ had paid the penalty for every sin. And if Jesus Christ had paid the penalty for every sin, how is it that man could be condemned for sins that were paid for? When I came to that point in my own life, I had to go one of two ways. Either say, no, Jesus Christ's blood only paid for the sins of those who would believe. Therefore, not every man's sin was paid for. Or I had to say, no, I'm going to stick with Scripture here and recognize that every man's sin was paid for. And so it must be something else that holds a man under condemnation. This opened up a, a brand new understanding of the character of God. A brand new understanding of God's mercy, of God's love, and of God's justice. And I know that I muddled it up a little bit at the beginning. I pray and trust that my, uh, my clarity, uh, can, uh, that I became more clear as the message continued. But let's be careful to distinguish here the difference between our sin and this nature of unbelief. Let's be very careful to remember and recognize that Jesus Christ's blood was the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. And as we look at the people around us, we don't look at people who steal and lie and murder, so they're on their way to hell. Homosexuals who are homosexual, so they're on their way to hell. People who have abortions, so they're on their way to hell. Let's not look at it that way. That puts us on a dangerous path. Path of great judgmentalism, if nothing else. Let's look at it this way. There is a world of sinners whose sins have been paid for, but who rest in unbelief. 
There's a world of sodomites, murderers, thieves, liars, adulterers, whoremongers, disobedient to parents, unthankful people who are sinners, but who are condemned because they haven't believed. That's the condemnation that keeps them on the path to hell. That's the condemnation that will one day see them in the lake of fire if somebody doesn't tell them that there's a way. If somebody doesn't make it clear to them that they don't have to work for their salvation, that they don't have to earn their salvation, that it's not that they have to get up to a point where they're good enough to where God will finally accept their repentance, but that they are on a path because they are in unbelief. And if they will but believe, If they will but believe, they will be saved. It doesn't matter if they're at the very lowest of the low in their lives. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if they're male or female. It doesn't matter if they're 100 years old or 10 years old. If they will but believe, they can be saved. That is the tremendous impact that this particular passage had on my heart. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will help you to see what I saw one day and give you a new and renewed appreciation for the gift of Jesus Christ that God gave to all the world. The love that God has upon the world. But the holiness that demands belief unto salvation. So that man can pass from death to life and through that life might have a renewed fellowship with God whereby God one day can look into the Lamb's book of life, can see your name and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for John 3.